The reading is taken from Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Well, we've taken some time this morning to think a little bit about this parable of the Good Samaritan. We have heard it read. We have had a quiz on it, although you didn't have to do very much to get a sweet in the quiz, did you really? Um, we've watched it acted out, and we're now going to look at it together again. So if you have a Bible in front of you, or if you have a Bible of your own with you, then please do turn with me again to that story, that very famous story in Luke chapter 10. You know, this week as I've been thinking about this this morning, I've been asking myself lots of questions about this story. What is it really all about? What is it meant to teach us? What can we learn from it today? Why does Luke even include it in his gospel? Why does he put it where he does in his gospel? Those are some of the questions that I have been thinking about as we've been trying to put this morning together. So what I want us to do is to, to think about this story in a bit of detail, to think about the context in which it all happens, to think about the parable itself, and then to think about what it might mean for us today. So, Let's think a little bit about the context, first of all. The story is told in response to a question. If you look really closely at the passage, you'll see that the questioner, the man who asks Jesus the question, is an expert in the law. The law here means the first five books of the Bible. It's not that he's an expert in what's legal and what's illegal, as we might think of it today. So think of him more as a a religious expert than a solicitor. And he asks a question to try and catch Jesus out. Look at verse 25. It says he wants to test Jesus. So that gives us a bit of a clue as to his motivation. It seems as though he is less interested in genuinely knowing the truth and more interested in trying to trip Jesus up. But actually, if you keep looking really closely, his question doesn't really make sense. 
He asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you think about it, you can't really do anything to inherit something. In order to inherit something, it's a gift, isn't it? It's normally the gift of a family. You can't do anything to get an inheritance. You have to receive it. And so Jesus responds with a question of his own about how the man reads the Old Testament law. And the man responds with a pretty good answer. He talks about the importance of loving God and loving your neighbor. It's a great answer. He would have got a sweet in the quiz. And then the man asks Jesus another question. And again, if you keep looking closely, we get an insight into his motivation for asking this second question. Verse 29, it says, he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, what does it mean that he wanted to justify himself? Well, it means that he wanted to make sure that he was being a really good and moral and upright person by keeping the laws that he had just spoken about. Really, he was wanting Jesus to tell him that you are doing a good job, just keep doing what you're doing. And really, we're meant to see that that is exactly what this man was trusting in in order for him to be right with God. He was trusting in his own ability to be a nice, kind, good, loving, moral person. And in response, rather than tell him you're doing a good job, Jesus tells him the story of the Good Samaritan. Why does he do that? Well, I think he tells it because he wants this man to know that actually he cannot justify himself because it is impossible for anyone to love God perfectly and to love other people perfectly. But I also think Jesus tells him this story because he wants him to understand that there is a way that he can be justified. I think that's the reason that Luke includes this story in his gospel. He wants this man and us to see that there is a way that we can be made right with God. So let's think about the story. You should know it really well by now. It takes place on a road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It was a terrible road, notorious for being a place where robbers and thieves used to hang out. It's the kind of place where your mum tells you not to go by yourself in case anything bad happens to you. But clearly this man mustn't have listened to his mum much because he is walking down the road by himself. And sure enough, he gets attacked and he's beaten up by robbers. He is stripped of his clothes. And there's this tiny little detail in verse 30 that's really important. It says that he was left half dead. He is in a desperate situation. Unless he gets help from outside, he will die. The situation is bleak for this man. We're then told that two people walk past the man at two different times. First of all, there is a priest. Then there's a Levite. Now, both priests and Levites in those days were very religious men. The priest had responsibility for leading God's people to worship in the temple. The Levite was someone who worked very closely with the priest and assisted him in the temple. And these men would have been people that our expert in the law, our questioner, would have had huge respect for. He probably knew some people who were priests and Levites. He probably looked up to these people. He probably wanted to be really like these people. He admired them and respected them. And yet in the story that Jesus tells, they are the ones who act 
terribly. They see the man in his need and they walk by on the other side of the road. They ignore him. They leave him to die. But then a third man comes on the road, a Samaritan. Now, if our expert in the law, our questioner, admired the priest and the Levite, he would have absolutely hated the Samaritan. He would have seen the Samaritan as a filthy outsider. He would have disagreed, him, disagreed with him on almost absolutely everything that he believed. And so as far as the expert in the law was concerned, there was nothing worse than including a Samaritan in this story. He hated them. And yet, it's the Samaritan who helps the man. He is the one who has compassion. He cleans up his wounds. He bandages him up. He puts him on his own animal. He takes him to the inn. He pays for him to be treated. He promises to make further payment for any needs that the man might have. And so the picture that Jesus is painting for us is that this man, the Samaritan, is the perfect example of someone who loves his neighbor. Even at great cost to himself, the Samaritan is willing to go out of his way in order to make sure that the man gets better. So what does it all mean? What are we meant to make of this story? Well, in the first place, I think Jesus is telling this man, our expert, what it really means to love God and to love other people. It means to recognize that everyone is our neighbor. It's not just that we're to love and serve the people that we like. It's that we're to love and serve the people that we don't like as well. The people who are unlike us. The people who we would even class as being our enemies. Jesus is saying that we need to love everyone because everyone is our neighbor. So think with me about what that actually means, right? It means that we have to love the really annoying people in our class at school. It means that we have to love our brothers and sisters even when they do things that really, really annoy us. It even means that we have to love Manchester United fans. And for our mums and dads, it means that we have to love those people in work who annoy us and rub us up the wrong way. We have to love those who staunchly disagree with us. We have to love those who we are naturally, naturally inclined to be opposed to. I don't know about you, but whenever I think about that, I realize pretty quickly that that seems to be an impossible standard. Whenever I think about my own life, I find it really hard to consistently love the people that I do like, never mind the people that I don't. I mean, sometimes I, I manage that better than others, but most of the time, I am incredibly selfish. And the person that I most want to love is me. And the truth is that we're all a little bit like that, aren't we? We all want the world to revolve around us. We all want to be at the center of the universe. And that's why Jesus' call to love God and to love others is so, so challenging for us. We are incredibly selfish and incredibly self-centered. William Gladstone was a British prime minister in the 19th century, and he once said that selfishness is the greatest curse of the human race. 
You see, we cannot live up to the standard of loving God and loving others with all of our hearts all of the time because the person that we most love, want to love with all of our hearts is ourselves. And so when Jesus is telling this story, what's the point? Well, partly it is an example for us. Partly he wants us to aspire to this loving God and loving others. But actually, partly he wants to expose our problem of selfishness. He wants us to see that we are broken and flawed and incredibly turned in on ourselves. So what is to be done about the problem of our selfishness? That's where I think we've got to think about why Luke includes this story in his gospel and specifically why he includes it, where he includes it. Because we're meant to understand that this whole conversation between Jesus and our expert in the law takes place as Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem. We know from Luke chapter 9 and verse 51 that Jesus has set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. He has set out to go to that city and he knows that he is going there to his death. And so when we read the parable of the Good Samaritan on the way to the cross, as it were, then we read it a little bit differently. The story is full of questions, but I think Luke wants us to ask another question as we read it. He wants us to ask, who is the ultimate good Samaritan? Who is the great Samaritan? I mean, in the story, as Jesus tells us, the good Samaritan is a figure who looks after a broken and needy man at the side of the road. He makes sacrifices in order to rescue him. He risks his life for him. He pays to look after him, which ultimately saves him from death and slavery. In that culture, if the man got better but couldn't pay his bill, he would have been sold as a slave in order to make the payment that he owed. And so the Samaritan's generosity saves him from death and slavery. The Good Samaritan is an example to us, right? But now read the story again and read it on the way to the cross. The ultimate Good Samaritan, he comes to broken, needy people, people condemned to death, he comes to bind up their wounds. He comes to save their very lives. He comes to free them forever from slavery because he has paid all of their debts, even at infinite cost to himself. He comes not just risking his life, but giving his very life. You see, we're meant to see that Jesus is the great Samaritan. Luke wants us to see the bigger picture of what's going on here. He wants us to see that the solution to our selfishness is found in the selfless, saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is the only one who ever loved God perfectly. He is the only one who loves people perfectly. And as such, he is the one who is qualified to be our savior. We often say here in Hill Street, that he is the only one who can do for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so this morning, as we think about this story, I hope we do see what it's teaching us. On the one hand, it is an example to us. And yet, on the other hand, it is exposing our greatest need. It is exposing our need to be rescued by the Lord Jesus. It is showing us that by trusting in him and in him alone, is the only way that we can be justified, the only way that we can be made right with God. And so before we can 
give the neighborly love that Jesus talks about here, first we have to receive it. Because only when you see that you have been graciously saved by someone who owes you the opposite will you ever go out into the world looking to sacrificially help other people. Only when we receive the radical, life-changing love of Jesus can we begin to be the neighbors that the Bible calls us to be. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, some of us are here and we are weary and need rest. Some of us mourn and long for comfort. Some of us feel worthless and wonder if God cares. Some of us are failing and desire strength. All of us sin and need a Savior. And so we come to you humbly this morning, needy for your grace, throwing ourselves in dependence upon our only hope in life and death, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is the ally of his enemies, the defender of the guilty, the justifier of the inexcusable, the friend of sinners. And so, Father, by your grace, please help us to trust in this Jesus today and to cling to him so that we might be saved and so that we might be changed more into his likeness. We pray these things in his name and for his sake. Amen.